0: Thanks for listening to the New Life Church of Searcy podcast. We're glad that you're joining us today. You're about to hear message audio from one of our weekend services, but before you do, just want to remind you, you can tap the link in the description or text Circe to 88,000 to get connected and stay up to date with what's going on on our campus at all times. You can give online, join a live group, or find more information about joining a serve team as well. You can also request prayer. We love praying for the needs of our church every single week. If you have a prayer request, tap the link in the description, or again, text Cersei to 88000 for more information. How's everybody doing today? All right. You guys look great. Well, um... I think, uh, you know, for a, a rainy day, this is a pretty impressive crowd. So um, ne- this this coming week, the staff and I are going to have to sit down and decide if we're going to go back to services. But uh, thank you guys so much uh, for being here on a rainy day. I apologize about the parking lot. Normally, we, uh, we've got this acre over here that we use when the parking lot is full. But when it's raining, you definitely don't want to park out there. I'm sure some guy here today who's in camouflage and had a jacked up truck decided that's the perfect spot for me. So there's probably, there's probably one or two trucks out there. So we, we got a couple of parking spots out of it. But listen, before we get going today, um, I want to talk to you about a couple of things. And that is, man, we've had some great resources for you this month starting. We've had this prayer and fasting guide. And um, it's really one of the best things that we've put together for the prayer and fasting week. If you don't have one of these, we still have them available on your way out today. Between the doors, um, we've got these. And it's just, if for anything else, it's going to have some great scripture for you to pray around. uh, Some great things for you to meditate around and think about. And so grab one of those on on your way out. These are all free. Um, The uh, Rooted series that we started with... Our creative team put together a small booklet and this was kind of uh, written by all of our campus pastors together but put together by our creative team and these are five bucks online I believe well we don't have the QR code today but you can definitely get these at Amazon I've got two today that are free so you can grab these I'm gonna leave them right up here if, if you want those and then we have the book of Mark series that we've been in And so you can scan this code. It's going to take you to our our link tree. At that link tree, you're going to be able to either download the PDF and have it yourself, or you can order it in a book form that will look just like that rooted book that I just held up. And this series is going to take us all the way until Easter. So we're going to be in the book of Mark for a while. It's just great content. So if you're a person who needs a a Devo, you, you want some daily inspiration or guide to where we're kind of heading for the weekend, this is just a great resource for you. So feel free to scan that and order them. Again, I think they're five bucks and uh, through Amazon, and so uh, we hope that you can can do that. If you brought your Bible today, I want you to hold it up, okay? If you brought your physical Bible, praise God, everybody check that out. So this is great. I've been asking you all year to to bring your physical Bible. If you do not have one, we want to buy one for you. And so um, if you will, again, scan the QR code. Um, we're really into that today. Uh, we can uh, get you a, an NIV Bible, and so... Um, please do that. The reason I'm asking you to do that and the heart behind it is just so that we can have a, a sacred hour, like away from iPads and phones. And I believe in U-version. I believe in technology. I'm about to preach from a MacBook Pro. And so um, I'm, I'm not against those things. But what I do want is for us to just have the opportunity for an hour to not be distracted, to not be looking at an email or or um, have have the temptation to respond to a text or check a calendar, but to just have this one hour as some sacredness to just be here and be really focused on what's going on. I also want to, before I hop in the Word, I just want to thank Craig for the past two weeks. Um, I know he's done a, a great job. We came back from uh national cheer competition. Robbie had COVID. Um, I thought all week, I thought, man, this is great. I'm I'm doing well. I'm not, I'm not, I was taking supplements and staying away from her and, um, you know, all the, all the things. And then last Saturday morning I got up and had fever and all the things tested positive. So it, it's just been a, a crazy, crazy week for us. Um, but I'm I'm gonna just take it easy this morning because if if I start coughing it just it just never it goes and it goes and it goes so uh, but I'm I'm thankful very thankful to be here with you this morning but I want to just thank Craig for hopping in two weekends in a row and and doing such a great job so thanks Bud this weekend as I mentioned already we're in week two of. The book of Mark, and so I'm going to ask you to go ahead and and turn to the book of Mark in your Bible, and um, this is a series again that's going to take us all the way in, into Easter, and that will be the last weekend in March this this year, and so the book of Mark, we we actually have a very limited knowledge of um, the the life of of Jesus. Out of sixty six books, we've only got four that describe his daily life. And two of those four don't even talk about his birth or early childhood or what happened to his father. We just don't know. There's still so much mystery that is surrounding that. And we know from Scripture that um, a lot more could have been written a lot more stories could have been told, a lot more healings could have been uh, spoken of, uh, but they just aren't. So we've got a very brief synopsis of the, of the daily life of Jesus Christ, and we're going to look at, at one of those this morning. But what, what we do know going through the Gospels is that Jesus had an amazing gift for storytelling. Storytelling. So he's got this knack for taking the surroundings. He's got this knack for taking um, the environment and the, the relevance of that particular day and turning it into a story that unveils kingdom principle. And so when we look at the Gospels, a third of Jesus' teaching is done in parable form. So he's talking about a farmer. He's talking about a field. He's talking about a tree that gives fruit. He, he's talking about different things and giving parable. And a parable is simply this. It is a small story that then presents a big I- idea. So he's trying to connect a, a huge eternal principle thought idea and use a very, very simple story to get it done. So when we look at Mark chapter 4 today, I want to first recap and tell you what's been happening so far. So Jesus has started his ministry by doing a lot of preaching. So he is known as a communicator, and he has healed a leper, a paralyzed man. He has healed a man's hand. Um, He is gathering disciples. He's eating with sinners. Religious leaders have already begun to question him, and every time he goes anywhere, a large crowd shows up. So actually, the text that we're about to read is going to be the eighth time in four chapters that Mark is going to describe how large the crowd is. So with large crowds come some different kinds of folks. Anytime you gather people, you gather different backgrounds, you gather different worldviews, you you gather different attitudes, and the larger the crowd, the more difficult it becomes to get people to walk away with one consensus, to to have, have them leave with one thought. Or one principle that you've taught. It just becomes more and more difficult. Personally, I I believe it's why Jesus spent most of his time with 12 people instead of 12,000. It was easier to get all of eternity in heaven and the kingdom and the journey and the reason into 12 than into 12,000. So it's probable this morning that there's not a single person in the room that doesn't desire some type of change in your life. Now call it whatever you want. Call it change, call it a shift, call it a pivot, whatever you want to call it, but there's one part or multiple parts in all of us that when when we look at it, we struggle there, we wish there there would be a, a God thing happen there, that a miracle would take place, that we would change that particular part. And we may not call it all those things, a change, a shift, a pivot, but that's what it is. And we are in a perpetual pursuit to fix something about ourselves. And truth be that we would also like to fix some things in some other people. We look around at the world. We look around at the political landscape. We look around at our friends. We look around. We look at at our children. You may even look right next to you right now and you think, my spouse could use some fixing. Okay? Now, if that's you, I would encourage you not to look over there right now. Okay? Don't give any kind of indication that's what you're thinking. But there's something in us we'd like to be a better friend or we'd like to have a better friend. Would like to be a better student, or maybe you'd like your student to get better. You would um, like to make better choices or have stronger finances, and then all the relational things. You you think, man, I'd like to be a better husband or dad or wife or mom, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And if you have kids, I know you have occasionally thought of ways that they can make your life easier. All right, so. The important thing to remember in our pursuit of being more like Jesus, which is really why we're all here this morning, because we believe in this principle. We believe that when we can come together in the presence of God, hear the word of God, that we can be transformed and then become ultimately more like Jesus, and that's the goal, to become like Him. And because we're living life like Him, then life begins to work out in a way like would be pleasing for him. But in our pursuit of being more like Jesus, it is actually important that we hear from Jesus. And so let me, uh, I, I know you're all in Mark 4, but let me just preface this by reading out Colossians chap, chapter 3, verse 16. It says, let the word of Christ dwell, that word means make a home, in you richly. That word richly means abundantly. So let the word of God Make a home in you abundantly. Okay? So we got to hear from God. When, when we do that, it makes a home in us. That word dwells in us. It's alive in us. And it creates an abundance of good things. So when Jesus introduces a parable like he's going to this morning, he, he will sometimes say this, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. Okay, it's a way, uh, uh, an archaic way of saying, listen up, all right? He's calling attention to what he's about to say. If you have an ear to hear, let him hear. Listen up, focus in, lean in. I'm about to say something important. That's what he's saying. And if you ever wonder why he's saying it this way, it's because we can have an ear and not hear. We can have two ears and not hear. This means that our listening has to be uh, surrounded with intentionality. Like I'm here. I'm focused in. It's another reason why I want you to bring your physical Bible this year. is because I want you to be honed in. focused in. This is our moment. This is the one hour we get together this week. And so... I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but sometimes Robbie and I will be talking to each other, like three feet apart from each other. And the whole time, we're also talking to other people on our phones. Anybody else ever do that? I'm the only Okay. And so I'll be sitting there, and she'll be sitting there, and we're like, yeah, I, 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 hear, I hear you. No, we're tapping away and it's fine we we get that it's it's a lifestyle but there's sometimes where we really want to say something important and it's it becomes irritating to the other person and one of us or both of us will say something snarky and you know i'll just she'll she'll say what what what, what was that last part and i'll say never mind and i'll just walk off or she'll do that It becomes irritating when we're trying to have a conversation and there's no intentionality there. And I'm saying it can be that same way spiritually for us. Like God's trying to talk. He's trying to carry on a conversation. He's trying to say, hey, listen up. I'm about to say something important. But we are fully distracted by talking to other things and involved in other things. And it's going to take some intentionality to say, I'm here and present. As a matter of fact, the Greek language has two words for hearing. There is one that is related to hearing via a conversation. Like, I'm just with you, I'm, 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 I'm listening, I'm present. But the other one is, I'm listening to learn something. So I'm not here to just converse, I'm here to absorb and then take whatever you're giving and apply it to my life. And so I think when Christ is talking to us via parable, through his word, that both of these come into play. They merge into one type of listening like, I'm here, I want to converse with you, I want to talk with you, and whatever you tell me, I'm going to take away and learn from it. So this leads us to a solid truth that if we're not hearing, it's not a problem with His Word. It's a problem with how we are hearing it, or if we are hearing it. So Mark chapter 4, 1 through 9, I'm going to read this this morning. And just if, if you're taking notes, you can write this in the margin. This same parable is found in Luke chapter 8. So it's, it's a, a mirrored parable, and uh, I'm, I'm going to reference it as well this morning. So when you hear me talk about Luke 8, that's why, because it's the exact same parable. So Mark 4, 1 through 9. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. And the crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the water. And while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge, he taught them many things by parables. In his teaching, he said, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he's scattering it, some fell along a path. And the birds came and ate it, and some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. And it sprang up quick because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came, the plant was scorched and withered because it had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plant, so they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, even 100 times. And Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So this parable takes off and lands just as quickly with very little explanation. But Jesus goes on to teach that the seed is a representation of God's word, okay? This is what he's saying to you and I. It's what he's speaking. It's what he's giving his spirit in your life to talk to you about. It doesn't just have to have chapter and verse with it. It can come today, this morning, as as a word, a fresh revelation from the Holy Spirit, and that can be in your life. The seed is God's word spoken into your life. The dirt represents the condition of human heart, right? So this is significant because the seed in this story is the same, but the dirt is different, right? The seed is applicable regardless of where it hits. It's loaded with the same amount of potential regardless But the dirt is different four times over in this story. And so, what Jesus is not doing is referring to four types of people. He is saying these are four conditions of the heart. And all of us can relate to this because some of this dirt in this story is hard, meaning it's unresponsive, it is dense. And I want you to think about different scenarios in in your own life, different conditions of the heart that you've experienced or people who you love have experienced, and I want you to begin to put faces to the descriptions of of this soil. So some dirt is hard, unresponsive, and dense. Some is rocky. So let's think of that as impulsive, reckless, sharp-edged. Okay? Some has thorns in it. Let's look at this as as worrisome and wounded. Try to put your hand on it and you'll know that you have touched it. Okay? There's, There's a wound in there. And some dirt is good, it's teachable, it's available, it's beneficial. So I want you to write this down this morning. The success of the seed has everything to do with where it lands. The success of the seed has everything to do with where it lands. The landing spot is the emphasis of this parable. So he's saying, listen, the word of God is being spoken. God is talking to you. God is trying to communicate to you. God is trying to get through to you through his word, through a conversation, through a, through a dream, through all, all types of different ways. Where is that landing in your life becomes the emphasis. So there's a few questions that I'm going to ask today. The first one is this. Is your heart calloused? Is your heart callous? So here's the part of the message where we start looking inward. And this is a moment of just inward reflection. Where are you at with this story? Where are you in this story? In verse four, it says, the seed fell along a footpath and a footpath becomes hardened because of traffic, not because of weather. It becomes hardened because of of the traffic. And there are those in this room who are hardened in your heart because you have too often become the world's doormat. Some of you have experienced a calloused heart because of the foot traffic in your life. Meaning this, you have been walked on and you've been walked over. And you have been abused, perhaps, in many ways. Perhaps you were robbed of innocence way early in your life. And as an adult, you find your entire spirit man wrapped in caution tape. It's like, don't come too close because there's there's a hurt individual over here. Like, you don't know my story, and you don't know what's been said over me, and you don't know what happened to me, and you don't know what they did, and you, know, you, don't, you don't know what's happened. Because of this, there's been a, a defense mechanism in your life that has caused you to be hard toward all kinds of things. But one of them becomes even the presence of God. Like, I don't, I don't want to get too close because I'm afraid that even you might hurt me. I don't want to go to church because those people hurt people. I don't want to have close friends because close friends hurt people. I don't want to have friendships because friendships can break apart and that that hurts too. And I don't want to have a spouse because that that hurts too. And your whole life is a story of building and developing calluses and you don't even know how you got here. You just know that there's a lot of caution tape in your life. And I've shared briefly some of of my own spiritual abuse stories of how different people or churches or pastors and things that have had a religious tone or overarching idea to them have, have been seed snatchers in my own life. But Ephesians 4, Paul warns us, he says, Do not give the devil a foothold. What this means is a a place to stand. Don't, Don't prepare a place in your life for him to come and stand there and whisper and give reasoning. And the language of this puts the responsibility on us. Paul is basically saying this. You do not give him a foothold. You don't do it. You don't give him a place. Don't give him a spot. Don't give him a seat at your table. And then you wonder, though, but how do, how do we do this? I mean, how do we, how do we go through the, the hard times of life and always stay tender and always get over it and always forgive and always able to move on and all of those things? We, we read this verse. This is the exact same uh, conversation that Paul is having here. It's just a few verses down down the road. He says, this is how you do it. you got to get rid of bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander and all the forms of malice. We talked about this a few weeks ago. We learned Ephesians 4.32 in Sunday school, right? The little song. Did anybody grow up singing the little song? Anybody want to come do it? you want to come do it? It said, "Be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you." And then the most important part: the duty, do Ephesians four thirty-two. That's how it went. The next one is: Is your heart shallow? And I'm going to skip over to Luke eight for this and pick up on this parable. It says, "Those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it." But they have no roots, so they believe it for a while. But in the time of testing, they fall away. This is the person who comes to church and they say, This is awesome! And they believe that for about three months. Until they realize that no matter what church they're in, it's not perfect. And when they realize that the honeymoon stage is over, And they realize that there are people here who are experiencing real life stuff and they're all navigating things and raising kids and and working through issues in their marriages. And they're all trying to become more like Jesus and yet still have sustainable lives with with career. And they're, they're juggling things and they realize that there's pressure. And they go, man, this place isn't perfect. This place is just more like me. And they have a shallowness about them because many times zeal is superficial. It's surface level. It's centered around good times and goosebumps, but it's not transformational. So, this verse reminds us that emotions do not get you through times of testing, zeal does not get you through it. James, who was the brother of Jesus, he wrote in his first chapter, in the second and third verse, he says, Count it joy when you have trials, for the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So, what makes you steadfast is when you've gone through it and you've survived it. What makes you steadfast is when your faith is put to the test and you've had some question marks and some tough conversation and some confusing points, but you walk out still believing in the Jesus story. Is your heart shallow? Third, is your heart distracted? I think this right now is one of the enemy's biggest weapons right now in our culture. To distract you, to make you lose focus, to, to, to take you off of what's really happening and keep you busy looking at lies or rumors or, or, or gossip, things that are untrue, things that are shallow and keeping your mind off of what's really, really going on. Luke chapter 8 says and some fell among thorns and those they are those who hear but as they go on their way watch the uh, the language that he uses here he says they are choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life and their fruit does not mature meaning so what what I got in Christ what I what I found what I've Discovered what's been transformational for me. As I go on my way, it becomes choked out by the cares of this life, the riches of this life, the pleasures of, of this life, and I become distracted. I now want something else, someone else. I want another scenario. I want another life. I want another this. I want another that. If you've been around me for any length of time, I call this an appetite, and I always have a byline for that. An appetite wants one thing, and it's more. And we all have them. We are all full of appetites, and all they want is more. You can't pray it out. You can't fast it out. It has to be just disciplined and constantly put under control of of the Holy Spirit. It is in you. You're always going to deal with an appetite. But don't confuse getting knocked down with getting choked out. Getting knocked down can be instant, happens to all of us. Life can punch you in the gut and knock you down. But being choked out is a much slower process. We used to call this backsliding growing up, okay? And it meant this, that someone really had a strong, hot, we used to say on-fire relationship with God. And then over time, it began to cool down, cool down, cool down, cool down. And they begin to slide away from biblical community, slide away from, from teaching, slide away from attendance, slide away from living a life for Christ. And then suddenly, and now it's evident because people post everything they feel on social media, you look at that and you go, that's not the kind of post you were making a year ago. And it becomes sad to us. And we see that they they have been choked out over the course of that year. Unlike other types of soil, this is not about being hardened or being shallow. It's about being distracted. And so I have a very theological question to ask this morning. Here it is. How much effort does it take to grow weeds? Okay, with an S. Weeds. Okay. <laughs> the answer there is no effort at all. Right? If you have a yard that you look at, maintain, drive by, whatever, glance at occasionally, it doesn't matter. If you've got a yard at your house, you've got some weeds somewhere. And what do you have to do to grow them? Nothing. And so some of us think we have a weed problem, but you've really got a soil problem. Weeds are a sign of spiritual slacking. So when I see them begin to spring up in my life, it's up to me to go over and remove them, take them out, pray over them, discipline myself to them. It is is a discipline thing. So let me, let me end with this story today. And I'm, I'm going to share this. And I, I want you to just hear this 45-second story. And then we're going we're to take pause and pray. In 1945, there were these three very energetic men making their way onto the ministry scene. Okay? Now keep in mind what, what year it is. 1945. They were all having success. And I want you to remember that in 1945, even an attendance of what we have in this room this morning would have made national attention. This would have been un, un, unheard of. Even today, the average evangelical church in America is 70 people. So imagine what 1945 would have been. I'm talking about most Churches in the country would have been very, very small community, family-oriented churches. These three men have exploded, and their names are Chuck Templeton, Braun Clifford, and Billy Graham. And Chuck Templeton and Braun Clifford were brilliant communicators. So much so that many in 1945 would have compared them to the unknown Billy Graham and said that they overshadowed him in the preaching ability. Templeton had been referred to as the most talented speaker in the United States. And in 1946, the National Association for Evangelicals, which was huge, posted an article listing individuals who had been dynamic for a period of up to five years Templeton was the major character profile in that article. Clifford was also making headlines. He spoke during a chapel service at Baylor University. The school was in such awe and respect of his gift that the president said, I don't want the bells ringing. I want the bells turned off. I want him to speak as long as he wants. I don't want him distracted. No bells, no noises. Let's make sure that we get this right. At the age of 25, Clifford set an attendance record for the most people in one spot in American history. They were truly phenoms. But something happened. In 1950, four years later, Chuck Templeton left the ministry. The reason was simple. He got up and said he didn't believe in it anymore. Four years, 48 months, after saying this is the best news, packing out universities, being the star of articles, I don't believe it anymore. Bron Clifford's story was nothing short of tragic. In 1954, which was nine years after setting an attendance record, he left his wife and his two kids. He was such an alcoholic that he was found dead in a motel room in Amarillo, Texas alone. Here's the two words I want you to take home today. Soil matters. Right? It matters. It matters where, where your heart is. It matters how you're receiving. It matters what you're hearing. It matters what you're getting from God. It matters. It matters. It matters. The soil, the condition of your heart, it matters. This is why Paul was serious when he said, you can't give the devil a foothold because if you do, you can become like this soil, beaten down and choked out and rocky and spend your whole life barely getting anything. It is a fight and a discipline to say, God, I want to be, I want you to t- get your hands in the soil of my life and turn it over, turn it over, turn it over, cultivate it, move it until you can drop as much as you want to in there. I want to stay s- soft and I want to stay supple and I, I want to be able to go through hard things and still love you and love people and love your church. I want to be hurt and still know how to heal other people. Soil matters. We all know how it ended with Billy Graham. It's because soil matters. So I want you to bow your heads with me really quick this morning and I'm gonna, I just want you to look at your heart for just a second.